0: There are so many major storylines to unpack from North Carolina's 36th victory over NC State in the last 41 meetings. From Armando Baycott's record-setting day to Leaky Black's injury and R.J. Davis's immensely hot shooting, but we're going to start somewhere completely unexpected, the free throw line. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, January 23rd, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I am your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Listen, we're obviously going to get to Mondo's record-setting day. We're going to get to Leaky Black's ejection, Traquavion Smith's injury, R.J. Davis's insane shooting of late, plus the women's win over Georgia Tech on Sunday. But before we get to all of that, UNC had one of their lowest assist rates of the entire season, 25%, five assists on 20 made field goals. And I am shockingly okay with it. (laughs) What? Yes. Okay, folks, for those of you who are new to the show, you might not know this, but for those who are tuned in with us often, you know that I pay a ton of attention to assist percentage, assist ratio. What percentage of buckets of made baskets is Carolina assisting on as a team? And usually, after a 25% performance like Carolina had earlier in back-to-back games this season, I'd be questioning UNC on why that's happening. But this time around, I am fine with it. Why is that? Because it was intentional. Because Hubert Davis recognized what all the stats say. North Carolina is really good at both getting to the free throw line and converting from the free throw line, He noticed that NC State is really good at sending their opponent to the free throw line, but not getting there too terribly often themselves. So what exactly did Coach Hubert Davis do? He said, you know what? Men, let's go attack after them. Let's get downhill. Let's get the ball in the post to Mondo. Force them to either move out of the way or foul us. And then we're going to go convert at the line when they do foul us. translation for all that. After a first half in which Carolina jacked up way too many threes, seven of their first 12 attempts were from the three-point line. Not exactly following the game plan, are we there, fellas? But after that, Carolina settled in, especially in the second half, intentionally drove intentionally found their way to Armando Baycott more in the post. They, they were working on that in the first half, but it was like, get it to Mondo at all costs, not necessarily getting the good angle for an entry pass or things like that. All of which driving attacking, getting the ball to Mondo in the paint puts an opponent at risk of fouling you. None of which translates into a ton of assists Unless, of course, you're like driving, penetrating, and finding cutters or kickouts or whatever off of that. But in this case, it didn't translate into many assists. But that's why, because of what happened at the free throw line, I'm okay for this one time because it was a brilliantly planned thing by Coach Davis. Now, it, it's quite funny because you saw this play out, even if you didn't know the cage... Coach Davis had done this. You see this game with your naked eye and you can tell North Carolina is doing everything possible to force NC state into fouling. Well, it, hilarious all the rest of the day, Saturday, all day, Sunday, all over social media, NC Stan NC state fans are up in arms. Even the NC state official basketball account is, is chirping about the free throw and foul disparity in this game. Here's the thing, respectfully, that's not bad officiating. That's what both these teams are and have been this season. And you got to recognize that. And NC State fans, unfortunately, aren't. Legitimately, the season-long numbers back up what happened in the Dean Dome on Saturday. So I don't know why NC State fans feel that it's okay to get upset about this game playing out the way that all the season-long numbers suggest that it would. Let me just remind you what happened. NC State, 27 fouls, North Carolina, 16. NC State, 12 total free throws, North Carolina, 39. But when you look at it, I'm not going to bore you with all the stats. i got them sitting right here in front of me. I go through, you know how I do. But just trust me when I say season-long numbers bear this out. North Carolina by far has attempted the most free throws in the ACC. They're the only team in the conference that's taken more than 400 total free throws. They have by far the biggest free throw differential in the conference. They and Virginia are the only two teams that have taken more than 100 free throws, more than their opponents. Again, could get way into the weeds on this, but just trust me when I say, NC State has nothing to get hot and bothered and upset about because this game played out like it should. Sure, North Carolina's was a little more exaggerated than normal, but that's this season. Carolina is top five or six in the nation, in the nation, in free throws made and attempted. So you combine all those stats, plus Armando Baycott drawing eight fouls, which is not abnormal for him, plus R.J. Davis drawing eight fouls. Why? Because he's attacking. That's a combined 16 fouls. That's as many as uh, North Carolina as a team committed. Plus the fact that NC State is playing an aggressive press defense, you know, typically like a three-quarter court kind of thing with the fact of Coach Davis's game plan. And of course, this is the result. Why are you surprised? NC State, this is not bad officiating. This is good coaching. NC State, this is not bad officiating. It's brilliant strategy that your coach, Kevin Keats, could not Figure out. So, what I would encourage you to do is take your L and go back to Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you very much. Speaking of Coach Keats, my favorite part of this whole thing is that he said in his press conference post game that he's never been part of a game where a team shot 39 free throws before. Well, typically I'd be the one to go research this and check it, but thankfully someone had already done it for me. At Doc Heel Fire on Twitter, went ahead and just fact checked Coach Keats. In addition to Saturday's game, nine other times a Keats coached opponent has shot 39 or more free throws. Here's perhaps the kicker of the whole thing. Coach Keats' own teams have attempted 39 or more free throws six times. So not only has Kevin Keats been part of a game where a team attempted 39 or more free throws, including the game on Saturday, he's been part of one of those games 16 times in his career. (laughs) <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, the result of all of this, of Coach Davis's strategizing, his game plan, and Carolina executing it, not for the full game, but for the majority of it, North Carolina finishes 36 of 39 from the free throw line, exactly 45% of their points in this game, by the way. This is a season high in both makes and attempts for Carolina. It's a program record, a North Carolina record. For free throw percentage in a game with at least 30 attempts, 92.3% beating, besting uh, a mark that was set against Syracuse on February 26 of 2019 when Carolina went 34 of 37, 91.9%. By the way, it'd be great if they could do that against Syracuse again this coming Tuesday, tomorrow for North Carolina they got they were in the bonus for the final 805 of the first half for the final 1324 of the second half just great stuff there oh and by the way not only does this this pressure and attack and aggressiveness help you in terms of scoring and, and creating these free throw opportunities but it also helped defensively. Why? North Carolina was struggling with big man DJ Burns when Carolina, when uh, Armando Baycott was out of the game. Jalen Washington had nothing for him. Pete Nance had nothing for him. And when Carolina tried to double, he was great at kicking out and they got a couple threes to end the first half. So what does Armando Baycott and the Tar Heels do? Well, they go straight to the post to start the second half and get two fouls on DJ Burns in quick possession, 66 seconds in to the second half, giving him three. He eventually picked up his fourth and outside of him, no member of the Wolfpack had any answer for what Armando Baycott was dishing out in this game. So can't get DJ Burns to the post? Well, let's also use foul to just take him to the bench. you love to see it again. This is all about great game strategy from Hubert Davis. Well, of course, as we do with every basketball game recap, we've got to get to our four corners recap and the shady stat of the game. And guess what, friends? I've got two of them. But before we do that, I need to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs uh, helps you as a small business owner or hiring manager. And because you know that success in 23 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs with which you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with the people that have the right skills and experience to help you achieve those goals. LinkedIn jobs can help quickly attract qualified candidates to those open jobs using things like targeting tools to help you identify the candidates and connect with them fast and for free. You want to achieve your business goals in 23 and hiring the right team member might help you do exactly that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks again for making locked on Tar Heels your first listen. Make sure to check out our brand new show on the locked on network, locked on college basketball. We are in the thick of the winter doldrums, and of course, you need, therefore, to check out Locked on College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball, all in one place. Plus, hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. All right, friends, our Four Corners recap. For those of you just tuning in for the first time, we do this every basketball game recap as a way to honor Coach Dean Smith's legendary Four Corners offense. So point number one, Armando Baycott in history, right? We can't bury the lead any longer. But let me start here with it. When Armando Baycott went down early, early, early in that Virginia game a couple weeks ago, I remember thinking to myself, man, shoot. I was really hoping that Mondo would set the double doubles record and the rebounds record against NC State in a couple weeks. Like his averages suggest that's a perfect time to do it at home. But man, ah, he goes down in this game. It's going to really cut into those numbers and his ability to get double doubles. Not only that, but is he going to play, be able to play in the next couple games? Well, boy, howdy, was I wrong, and boy, howdy, did I once again underestimate how tough of a dude Armando Baycott is, because not only does he return against Louisville and Boston College and Saturday against NC State, but check this out, he ups his averages in scoring and rebounds, in those three games, he averages 19 points a game and 16.7 rebounds a game. Like last year, at at his height, he finishes the year averaging 13-something rebounds. This year, he's down around 10 or 11. It's got lowered because of missing that Virginia game. He's averaging 16.7 rebounds in the last three. It's been three of his four highest rebounding individual games this season. The only one higher was James Madison when he had over 20. Well, all of that, those three games coming back and just going beast mode allowed him to set two career Carolina records on Saturday. As you well know, 61 double-doubles, which passes Billy Cunningham for the Carolina career lead in that category and past Tyler Hansborough's 1,219 career rebounds. Armando finishes the game with 12-21. And now we turn our attention Beyond Carolina to the ACC list, where Armando Baycott has, by the way, moved into eighth place on that career list. And seventh and sixth is two Dukies, Mike Jeminski and Sheldon Williams, both of whom are in striking distance for Mondo over the next couple games. So watch out for that. Four Corners point number two. Armando was not the only Tar Heel that moved to top the UNC record books on Saturday. This one was a bit more off the beaten path because it's not a counting stat. It is a percentage stat. And I just kind of realized it as I was doing all my stat breakdowns. If you've heard me talk, you know I keep my very own Carolina record book. I've got a bunch of my own stats that I'm trying to create. Uh, that aren't currently stats. And so I just create, keep all this stuff. Well, as I was inputting all that data on Saturday night, I realized that RJ Davis following his 14 for 14 performance. Can we talk about that from the free throw line? By the way, Mondo himself was seven for seven. RJ Davis moved past several notable Tar Heels into first place in career free throw percentage for North Carolina currently sitting at 85.1%. Nobody else is above 84. Shaman Williams is second place all time at 84.8. And RJ has just moved past him. Now, obviously, hear me on this, because it's not a counting stat where we just add more and more and more, because it's a percentage stat, he could obviously drop back down below this number. And chances are that he probably will because he's on an insane hot streak right now. It could fluctuate right now, he holds the lead. Big congrats to RJ Davis on that accomplishment. Four Corners point number three. Listen, we're staying on the RJ train for this one. He's also point number three. Why? Because it ain't just the free throw line from which he is on some kind of insane, insane tear right now. Which by the way, it it really has been the Armando Baycott and RJ Davis show of late. Like Coach Pat Kilby and I a lot this year have talked about how RJ is Carolina's most indispensable player, but really I don't know how you separate these two dudes. It is a two headed monster and it is beautiful to watch in action against NC state, RJ and Mondo combined for 49 out of Carolina's 80 points. Great stuff there. Anyway, we're talking about RJ right now. Listen to what he's doing shooting. This is just a couple of the numbers to throw your way. RJ, has made 19 straight free throws. He leads the ACC in free throw percentage this season, 89.8%. Over the last six games, he is shooting, brace yourself on this one because it's wild, 56.3% from the three-point line. 56.3%. Wow. He's shooting a better percent from three than he is from the field. But his field goal percentage itself is great. Over the past six games, he's shooting 53.8% from the field. Career highs right now in single season three-point. I mean, just all sorts of stuff. I don't know how long it'll keep up. RJ looked like he he hurt his uh, his shooting hand a little bit in the second half. So we'll just have to keep tabs on how he is doing. Number four on our four corners recap. Turnovers. You heard me talk about this on Friday show in our What to Watch for, our W2-W4, because NC State is elite, and I re- really legitimately mean elite this season, in hanging on to the ball. They are top 10 in all, like, all of those offensive turnover pre- um, numbers and percentages. And so what I had said on Friday was that North Carolina, because they were playing a team that hangs on to the ball so well, North Carolina had to do the same. But I wasn't hopeful. Why? Well, after back-to-back games of single-digit turnovers for the Tar Heels a couple games ago, they had surrendered the ball 13, 14, and 12 times in the past three games. That's Virginia, Louisville, and Boston College. Virginia is understandable. Louisville? No. Boston College? No. Those teams are not good at forcing turnovers. But what happens in this game? Here's why I bring this one in. North Carolina commits a season low just 7 turnovers in fact they were lower than nc state who had eight of their own and so great stuff from carolina there they show that they can do it even in a fast-paced game this are the two highest scoring teams in the acc this season and yet the Tar Heels commit just seven turnovers that now is the expectation keep it going all right as i told you two shady stats you're welcome a bonus one Part of the reason is because the first one is actually a follow-up uh, of the Shady stat I used after the last game. Shady stat of the game part one. Leaky Black does it again. Even in a game in which he is ejected with nine minutes to go, he gets multiple steals. He had two steals in this game. So that means that he has multiple steals in seven straight games. That's so impressive. And at least one steal in 11 straight great stuff there from leaky black shady stat 2.0 is this carolina's three point percentage allowed not what they're shooting but what they're allowing their opponents coming in over the last three games carolina had forced their opponents into shooting just 17.9 percent from beyond the arc 7 of 39 now state shot a little bit better 5 of 17 but That means that even when you add that in, over the last four games, the Tar Heels are holding their opponents to just 21.4 percent from the three-point line. That is great. It's over 10 percentage points lower than the season average that they're allowing. Allowing, excuse me. If the Tar Heels can keep that going, boy, the defense is coming around. It's just inching back up into that into that sub 60. Uh, territory at Ken Palm. And so you want to see him get into the fifties there. That would be a great thing. Speaking of leaky black and his great steals, we got to discuss this play. The thing with Terquavion Smith, the injury, the ejection, all that coming up here in just a second. Okay. I had planned in the third section of today's uh, show to be able to unpack and debrief in in detail Carolina women's victory over Georgia tech. Um, But I feel like we need to spend our last minutes together on the show today just unpacking this Terquavion Smith leaky black thing because there's a lot of conversation around it. So let me just give you a few quick things on the women's game and then we will get into that. Carolina wins 70 to 57 over Georgia Tech. And one of the great things is, as you've heard me talk about multiple times lately, the the women's team has gotten off to slowish starts except against Duke last Thursday. And then because of that, they have to use a third quarter run to put themselves in position to win, which they've done of late. This is now five in a row. Not so in this game. In this game, they got out to a nice lead and still made their typical third quarter run to do everything they needed to do. Actually outscored by Georgia Tech in the fourth quarter, but they won the first three quarters and that's all you need one by 13. Deja Kelly leads all scores, 18 points followed by Alyssa Usby, who is the second leading scorer in the game for both teams, 17 points for her. The reason I bring up both of them is because they're kind of turning into something of a two headed monster themselves, just like Baycott and RJ Davis. Kelly and Usby combined to shoot 14 of 24 from the floor, including five of seven from three. Whew. If you can get that kind of production, game in and game out, great stuff. Heels moved to 14-5 and five overall, 5-3 five and three in the ACC. As I said, they've got a five-game winning streak. They're now tied for sixth in the conference, but making moves Thursday. they're hit. Got to take care of business there against one of the uh, bottom teams in the conference. By the way, when you look atop the ACC standings, if Carolina's able to keep inching their way up forward, just keep an eye on it. Why? Because... The top two teams in the conference, Duke and Notre Dame, are both 7-1. and one. Those two losses are both to the Tar Heels. So if Carolina can get back up into that, they hold the tiebreaker over both those teams. It's something to keep an eye on. Okay, let's get into the leaky black Turquavion Smith thing. Uh, there's just so many massive storylines in the men's game against NC State. Now let me start by saying, it stinks what happened to Terquavion Smith and hopefully he's okay. And it sounds like for all intents and purposes that he is, you never want to see any of these student athletes hurt or injured. We know it happens, but you just hate to see it anytime. I mean, honestly, in real time, the play didn't look that bad. um, But clearly he, he landed weird or awkwardly or funnily. Um, But thankfully his feet were moving. So we knew he um, had consciousness and was okay let's take that and set that aside because you know what I'm about to say next. A f- calling a flagrant two on this play is atrocious. Here's why I believe that. To me, this was an instance of the referees adjudicating the penalty based on what happened to somebody, not on the play itself. Let me say that again. I believe that the referees went as extreme as they did with the punishment, not because of the play, but because of the result of the play, which is Terquavion Smith getting carted off the Smith center floor. To me, and and I've read the rule book, I understand it, I know what it says, this is not a flagrant two based on the play alone. Let, let me put it this way. If you were to clip out the ending of the play, Terquavion Smith not getting up, and show like a third-party referee a bunch of plays like that, where you just see the, the actual game action and not what occurs after, I can almost guarantee you that this would not have been labeled a flagrant two like to me legitimately it feels like the only reason leaky was assessed at flagrant two and therefore ejected which is the automatic punishment that comes with a flagrant two was because terquavion smith left on a stretcher now listen hear me say that is not terquavion smith's fault that he left on a stretcher but it is the referee's faults for being seemingly swayed by that image right um that, to me, is the thing. Moreover, like a minute or two later, you had Casey Morsell swiping Caleb Love across the face, and it was assessed a flagrant one. I'm not saying it should have been a flagrant two. I'm just saying, to me, the actual play of that in a vacuum was just as egregious as what Leaky Black did going to make a play on the ball. It is clear and evident that he was simply trying to make a play on the ball to to block it in transition. He had been bothering Terquavion Smith all day long, right? You know it, it's true. And it just so happened that he fell and got hurt. I, I, I just do not see difference between the actual plays there other than the result. Yes, Caleb Love was down on the court for a second, but did not get carted off on a stretcher, didn't lie there. Like, I I get it, and that stinks, and that's bad. But we cannot say, oh, because he got hurt, that means that what Leaky Black did is worthy of ejection. Not true at all. Well, apparently, also, NC State fans said that Carolina fans, like the people in the Smith Center, were booing Smith as he was carted off. But come on, man. That's not happening. They are booing the announcement of Leaky Black's ejection, which comes just on the heels of Smith being carted off the court. Which, by the way, the, here's the good news. Many have asked, and so I, I should say here, Leaky will not have to miss any time going forward. He'll be fully available for Syracuse uh, tomorrow night on Tuesday. And, and the best news is in this whole thing, Terquavion Smith is okay. I've even seen pics of him... F- pictures of him floating around Twitter, uh, out clubbing on Saturday night. So there's that whole thing. Now I'm not saying he was faking or anything like that. Hear me not saying that this, this to me is about how we adjudicate plays based on the play themselves in a vacuum, not based on what happens in the aftermath of it. Unless, you know, there are other times, like if a fight breaks out or something, sure, that's different. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I, I put up a Twitter poll to ask about this. Like, hey, do you think Leakey should have been assessed this penalty? And it is like the most votes I have ever, ever had on a Twitter poll. 1,145 votes, 91.4% of which said no. Uh, if Because the question I asked, if Smith hadn't been hurt on the play, do you think the refs still would have assessed a flagrant? 91.4% said no. Now, of course, I've got a big Carolina audience on my Twitter, so that plays into it. But you, you hear the, the heart behind that. And the final note on this whole thing, this is, to me, head-to-head of the two front runners for ACC Player of the Year, along with Tyree Appleby from Wake Forest. Remember last year, Armando Baycott got jobbed uh, losing out to Alondis Williams from Wake Forest. Well, in this head-to-head matchup, which is sometimes what it comes down to, Even before Smith left the game with his injury, Armando Baycott had the better game and and gets a head up for me, gets a leg up on Terquavion Smith in the ACC player of the year race. Of course, we're going to have to watch and see what happens over the the stretch run of this season. But to me, at this point, it's those three guys vying for this. You got to think a lot of people are like, man, I should have voted for Mondo last year. I got to make up for it this year. We'll wait and see. But that seems to make sense. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to let you know now, even though it's Monday, coming up on Friday, we are going to have a mailbag episode. No game this weekend for the for the men's basketball team. And so just it's been a long time since we've done a mailbag. And so want to do that. So please reach out. You can DM us on Instagram. You can DM me on Twitter. You can DM the show on Twitter. You can email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. I'll gather all your questions and have them ready for Friday's show. Lots of fun whenever we do a mailbag episode, we'd love to have you dial in for that. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, smash the like button, leave comments, all of that stuff legitimately helps spread the show to people who have not previously heard of it. And also don't forget to check out Locked On College Basketball, where myself and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the college basketball landscape. Locked on college basketball available on Odyssey, YouTube, and anywhere else you get podcasts. Thanks so much for hanging out with me on your Monday Talk in Carolina basketball. Great stuff. Don't forget Carolina will be up at Syracuse tomorrow night, Tuesday. We'll obviously have the preview for that on Tuesday's show. So be ready for a good one there. For today though, that's it, and I want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace.